Welcome to Rise Seattle Podcast, a podcast about Seattle, the people, their stories, and Seattle's future. Here's your hosts, Phil Greeley and Tyler Davis-Jones. Hey, Phil, how's it going? I'm good, Tyler. How are you? Great, man. It's a beautiful day, sunny. Again, the Rise Seattle Weather Podcast. So I'm back from Nashville, and yes. you are from Nashville. Yeah, go Preds. Um, so I loved it. I loved your hometown. I, I, w- I don't want to move there, but if I could have a second home there, I totally would. You it's told like the, me. It's like a wanna... blend of Ballard and Alabama or something. Sure. <laughs> the ba- Ballard meets the South. Like there's cool foodie don't, restaurants everywhere. Don't compare Tennessee People say to y'all. Alabama. That's and terrible. I'm just saying the South meets like a hip Seattle neighborhood. That's yes. kind of what it's like. That's pretty much what Nashville is, right? Really good food. Uh, amazing music. Right. You saw several shows, actually. Yeah. Yep. If you're really into country music, it's a place to go. But I think you know, there's blues. There's there's kind of that runs the gamut. But um, right. even just regular old music, I think. Uh, yeah. Singer-songwriter stuff. Singer-songwriter, yeah. you know, folky. It's good stuff. Producer Brett plays there occasionally, right? That's true. You didn't come back with an accent. I kind of did. I'd I'd really like to hear your best attempt at a Nashville accent. My best attempt. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, they all say y'all. True. And uh, yeah, gosh, my best attempt. I don't even know. I think I'd sound like a female. Sir, sir, I really appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Is that good? No, that was terrible. Tyler. Tyler, I reappreciate you. <laughs> they always say appreciate it. Appreciate. Yeah, there's there's several words. There's like You want spare you know. baby back. <laughs> Where did you Sweet go? Sweet tea? Oh, that's Is that horrible. good? No, it's no? not good at all. Okay. It's not good. You you know, you, you got the like Tyler. That's that's a good one. Tyler. It's it's long syllables. It's slower. Slower words. Um yeah. I, I was I was trying to pay attention actually to my accent when I was there talking to my dad. I'm like, we just kind of slur things together a lot more, right? So it's like like, uh, yeah, I'll have that. That sounds good. Like you know, it's just it's like, um, yeah, how are y'all doing? You know, like it's just it's 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 like molasses, you know? Yeah. Maybe. Anyways. Uh, people are probably bored already. Anyways. Um, <laughs> so who do we have on today? We're talking with author, local author, Lori Frankel. Lori Frankel. She is fantastic. Uh, she just released a book called This Is How It Always Is. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was a great conversation, especially for our current uh, just state of our country and the things that we're discussing. Right. Totally. So um, we'll get into the details when we talk to her, but she has a transgender daughter and um, is in that her daughter's in elementary school and recently went through the process of figuring out that her son was wanted to be um, identify as uh, a female. And so we kind of unpack that story a bit, talk about life as a parent of a transgender child. And, um, and yeah, I think that story relates to so much about um, acceptance and understanding and mm. um, seeking understanding, right, with things that you don't really get and right. we can apply that to lots of things in our world right now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think I think what's so compelling about this interview to me is that um for someone who at one point probably would have written off the idea of someone being transgendered um it really puts a story um to 
the issue. Um, and she unpacks um, her her doubts. She unpacks um, her hopes, uh, her, you know, kind of what, what exactly was it like to actually be a parent to someone who is transgendered. Um, and that I, I just definitely appreciated her honesty uh, there. So don't write it off. I, I highly suggest uh, you listen all the way through this podcast because it's definitely worth the interview. For sure. And towards the end of the episode, we give instructions on how to um, enter a, a giveaway contest of her book. This is how it always is. So uh, be sure to listen towards the end for instructions there. And we'll give away a signed copy of her book to someone random um, who follows those instructions. So all right, Tyler, it's been a joy. Tyler, I appreciate Tyler, you. I really appreciate you, Phil. Hope you enjoy this episode. All right. All right, so today we are with, here with Laurie Frankel. She is a best-selling author. She's an award-winning writer. Um, she has three novels, which we will dive deeper into today. Um, those novels include uh, the, let's see, oh, wow, never mind. <laughs> That's not what I wrote down. It's okay. We'll scrap that. Restart. Um, <laughs> all right, here we go. So her, her her writing has also appeared in the New York Times, The Guardian, uh, Publishers Week, Weekly, People Magazine, uh, the Sydney Morning Herald, and other publications. Um, and she has all three of her novels have been uh, actually optioned for film or TV. That's exciting. So, Laurie. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm okay, my, to be here. my first question. Okay. Are you in any way related to the Austrian philosopher and psychologist Viktor Frankl? Not in any way. At okay. least not in any way that I know Do of. Do you get that question? All the time. All the time. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of uh, logos therapy yeah. and uh, just this idea of searching for meaning. Yeah. Right. Man's search for meaning. Right. Great yeah. book. Fantastic book. Um, okay. Yep. Well, there you go. I was going to get you like sign something, but now I'm not going to do <laughs> that anymore. So, yeah. all right. Well, now that we've settled that, let's, let's provide our listeners a little context. So you live in Seattle and you have for a long time. Yes. What neighborhood do you call home? I live on the back side of Queen Anne. I live just the Queen Anne side of the Fremont Bridge. North side? Like, no, the south side, right? The Queen Anne side of the Fremont Bridge. Queen, Queen Anne, Anne side. side. I see. I see. Yeah. Okay. okay. So I can gotcha. see the bridge up and down from my house. Nice. But oh, it's wow. really the back the back gotcha. side with the okay. north side, I guess they call that yeah. of, of right. Queen Anne. It's almost like northeast. Queen Anne. Not quite, not quite canless, but... Right, right. Yeah, that but like back kind of there, back that around that side. Okay. It's hard to do north and south because it, I live on a really steep hill mm -hmm. and north is down and that's just wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So did you grow up in Seattle? No. I came here, God, I guess it's been like 12 years now. I grew up in Maryland. Whoa. I'm an East Coaster. Wow. Yeah, I'm going there Transplant. tomorrow, That's exciting. Yes, yes. Very cool. So 12 years yeah. ago. Yes. Yeah, so. And what was it like growing up in, in Maryland as a kiddo? Oh, it was great. You know, Maryland is lovely and then um, different, really, I think, than here. I, we're right between Baltimore and Washington. Okay. So pretty pretty urban. Um, the, the, the town where I grew up was... Uh, was small and suburban at the time, although it's not really anymore, mm -hmm. but we were spitting distance to these two cities. Mm. And, and, and I think that, that that made me know that I wanted to live in a city. Yeah. Seattle is a much more civilized city, I think, than most of the cities on the East Coast. Gotcha. Yeah. So what, what brought you to Seattle originally? I met a boy. Ah, the, old, the age old <laughs> story. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, I should come up with a better one. Yeah, still um, still with said boy? Yes, or? yes, oh, indeed, okay. yes. We, nice, we, so it worked out. Yeah, it did. It was a, it was a good choice. Nice. Um, and I was teaching full-time in, in Baltimore at a community college in Baltimore. And so I was only out here in the summer. I would We would spend academic years in Maryland and then come out here for the summer, causing me to believe that Seattle was always 75 degrees oh, and sunny course, yeah. and yeah. light yeah. till 11 and, you know, humidity-free. And it was just all wonderful. And I thought, why doesn't everyone want to live here? Yeah. And then I moved here, and then there was February, but by then it was too late. Yes. Yes. So See, here's I, like this one where it just rains and rains and rains, and that's a challenge I find mm, emotionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, so I moved out here in 09. So I'm from Nashville, Tennessee originally, but I moved out here in 09, and uh, it was uh, November. And it was tough. That was yeah. a tough. That's a tough time to move here. Yes, like, what is. did I do? Yes. It was a terrible decision. Dark yeah. and gray. Yeah, and yeah, gray, it's yeah. tough. It's tough. Okay. And for a long time, if you come in November, you've just got just a lot of gray ahead of you. Yeah, it's true. So, how were things different twelve years ago compared to how they are today? In my life or in Seattle? Uh, both. Sure. Why not? <laughs> um, well, I. No longer work full time. I was teaching full time, and I'm not anymore. In oh, fact, wow. I'm not. I'm what, not. What were you teaching? I was teaching college English and gender studies and literature and Shakespeare writing uh, stuff like that. Um, and now I'm not doing that. Now I write full time. Um, I did not have a child, and now I have a child. Wow! I was right. not married when when we when we moved here. We lived in sin for a little while. Oh, nice! And, uh, yeah. yeah, it is nice to live in sin for a little yes. while. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm not sure that really made a huge difference in my life, but nonetheless. Um, and, you know, I hadn't written any books yet, so now this is what I do. Very not cool. Books. cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So you're an author, and we have, I think in our audience, we have a lot of readers. Yeah. I don't know how many Good. writers we have, um, but what's the writing community like in Seattle, and maybe how has that shifted since you... Um, be, you taught writing, yeah, uh, and now you are a published author. Yeah, um, how's that shifted? And what does that look like now? Yeah, you know the writing community in Seattle is amazing, and in fact, I I meet a lot of writers, you know, on book tour and on the road and at literary festivals and stuff. And the more I do, the more convinced I am that Seattle has the best writing community really? in the country. Yeah, um, and and people are always asking why mm. why there's so much good writing that comes out of Seattle. And I think that the answer they want is, oh, it's rainy. And, yeah. you know, we mm. sit down and we work and it's the mood for it. And I don't think it's that at all. I think it's the community. Mm. Uh, I'm on the board of a nonprofit organization called Seattle Seven Writers. And we do a lot of work for literacy and um, spreading spreading reading and books and, and the love of and writing in, in the community. Mm-hmm. And that's a really wonderful organization. I'm really glad to be a part of it. I love the work that we do, but also there are 80 of us. Mm. And so it becomes this really good social support mm. community um, for a job that really is just, you know, sitting on your butt by yourself in your house. That's right, and, yeah. and that's huge. So huge. practically, like if you have, if you need support, what would that look like? Like you have, you're at an impasse in one of yeah. your works or like inspiration just in your next... Yes. You know, it depends. And I think that different people find that support in different ways. Mm. I don't, I get writing support in-house from my husband um, (laughs) who helps me with things like, I don't know what happens next or this Mm. passage sucks. What should I do about it? Um, This organization is really good for the other kind of support. So for a while we were having monthly wine and wines Mm. (laughs) where we drank wine and wined. And that support is really important too, to talk about like, 
you know, my agent has said this thing and I don't know what it means, or right. I can't get my editor to understand, you know, that right. kind of, of support. And just, I'm totally blocked. Not, I want yeah. you to help me solve that problem, but I want you to say to me, oh yeah, me too. Been Sometimes I'm totally, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. And that kind of support. empathy, yeah, exactly. towards, towards the situation. And it's huge, of course. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. man, that's great. Well, it seems like Seattle, um, you know, the number of uh, independent bookstores we yeah. have here and how the community really rallies around um, around that, I think, is so yeah, beautiful. it's huge. Um, and really, like, uh, uh, so a good friend, we actually had her on the podcast, but a good friend of ours is Sarah Adler. She did um, Simply Real Health. It's, a, it's like a cookbook type yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I remember her promoting uh, her book and, like, Queen Anne, Queen Anne books was yeah. like, uh, you know, they, bookstore. yeah, absolutely, right. They seem to just really rally around local yeah. writers in a way that. Well, now um, I see her delivering, hand delivering copies, right? To yeah. each bookstore yeah. and, and yeah, things like that. Which is yeah. so great. And we're just really lucky to have, to have all of those. Not just to have an independent bookstore, to have a choice of independent mm. bookstores is a remarkable thing these days. Yeah, yeah. totally. That is great. I'm really grateful for that as a writer, but also as a reader. Yeah. Fully. Well, we're going to talk about your three books. So okay. tell, um, we want to, I think we'll probably dig in most to your most recent one. Yep. But um, just for our audience. Um, I'll give the list. Yeah, give go. the list. So, so your three books are This Is How It Always Is, yep, most that's recent. The new one. Uh, it, let's see, you said it came out in January. Yes. Uh, just before. Yeah, Our current uh, administration yes. came to office. Correct. Um, <laughs> so interesting. Yeah. And I want to talk about that more. Okay. And uh, <laughs> so uh, goodbye for now mm -hmm. and the Atlas of Love. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, let's. Well, I have a question about that. Like from your first published work yeah. to your most recent, yeah. what, like, what's your biggest takeaway? What have you learned throughout the like? What didn't? What do you know now that you didn't before you launched that first so book? So little, <laughs> it's oh, really? unbelievable. Yes, um, I find every time I sit down to do this, it's a completely new mm -hmm. thing, and I, and in fact, I, I sort of mourn that. I, I, it seems like a real shame to me that I don't get to carry what I learned from mm. the one into the other. I'm sure there are some things, certainly. But each project feels so new and so daunting. I mean, novels are long, and that process is long. And you sit down at the beginning, and I just think, I don't know how to write a novel. Mm. Why do I think I know how to write a novel? Every time. Right. Um, and so I, I think there's lots, lots that I have learned, but, I, but it somehow doesn't help with the next project. Mm -hmm. um, I certainly didn't know anything about the business side of things going in. And so I've learned a little bit more about that just by, you know, I didn't, I didn't have an agent and I didn't know how, I didn't, I didn't even understand what an editor did really. So you sort of get all of that, but it's, I mean, it's, you know, it's like, I have never been in this building. Now I have walked through the building and I know where the bathroom is. That's, right. I feel like that's about what I know now about writing gotcha. novels. <laughs> Okay. So, so when you approach like a, a new story, you're approaching it just kind of okay. Let's see what comes let's of it. Let's See what happens. Okay. Yeah. 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 With uh, with our conversation with Andrea Dunlop, your your good friend, yeah. um, we were kind of navigating through the, like the story arc, or uh, yeah. uh, it's Campbell's uh, hero's journey, right? Right. right? Yeah. The idea of you have a hero, he meets a guide, they you right. know overcome some form of obstacle, and he returns like coming coming back as the hero, yeah, or she, yeah. Um, is, so that's not like a narrative that you try to follow, or is there like a, a system or anything that you? No, know? I 
my books tend to be about families, wow. uh, non non traditional families. Yeah. So not necessarily that is you wouldn't necessarily pick it up and think like, oh, this is a book about a family. It's certainly my last one, but not the first two. Right. But that's what they're about. And so it's often less of a singular hero mm. and more of a group hero, which is a different kind of a thing. Um, I, I, you know, we we're talking earlier about rough drafts. I write. Mm-hmm. I mean, just terrible, terrible, terrible rough drafts. Mm. Um, and actually, it's the best, It's the best, easiest, certainly, part of it is you just sit down every day, and if a thousand words come out, then you're pleased with yourself. And it, it does not matter how terrible it is. In fact, in some ways, the more terrible, the better. And then, you know, and then you cut it. So th- my new book is like 112,000 words, and I cut 250 from nice. it. Nice. 250,000 yeah. words. That's like two to three books wow. full of in-the-cuts folder right. because that's what happens when you write bad draft drafts, and I'm a firm believer in it. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Well, yeah. and editing so powerful. And right? editing yeah. is – yeah. I mean, editing really is the work, I right. feel like, of writing right. the novel. Yeah. yeah. And That's it's cool. it's good. It's gratifying. It's sort of you know you feel like oh a miracle occurred. You know this was so horrible. Mm-hmm. No, it's not half bad. And um, and that's very gratifying. But but that's where the work comes in. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So your most recent book, this is how it always is. Yes. Um, it depicts a family. Uh, I believe a family of seven, right? Five yep. kids. Yep. And uh, sort of unpacking this story of their youngest son's right. uh, transgender transition. So from yep. son to daughter. That's and, right. Um, I think without getting into the plot details, that it parallels your personal life in many ways, correct? Yeah, it does. Yeah, the book is completely fictional and okay, totally right. made up, except it is true that I did have a little boy and and now she's she's a girl. Um, so that part was that that part is indeed true. Though in fact, the details of the transition in the book were really different from mm. from my own. Um, and the other thing is that the book is about a family with five boys, the youngest of whom becomes a girl, and I have an only child. Mm. And uh. so for me, I just feel like that's so different. Yeah. Even though that one detail, you know, is the same, um, I I can't. I mean, I obviously can't imagine being the parent of, of five children because I did it, but I couldn't until I sat down and, you know, did this exercise. I just mm. think, wow, that's, I mean, it's really it's so many children. Um, it must <laughs> be such a different experience than my own. And and the other thing is that Seattle is a, is a progressive and um, wonderful place to live. And so mm. my kid transitioned over the course of first grade in Seattle Public Schools really without incident. Oh, wow. And that's amazing. Wow. And and I am so profoundly grateful for yeah. it. Um, but it makes for really crappy reading. You know, uh, it would have been a really right. boring short book. Right. So in fact, the book is full of plot and intrigue and near misses Conflict and heartbreak and, and all yeah, of this yeah. stuff that that's totally made up because we are blessed to not have to go through mm-hmm. it. Yeah, totally. That's really nice. Yeah. Would you say so? We'd love to unpack your personal yeah. story a little bit, but would you say that that's? Um, I guess you would say that's probably a common thing in Seattle for parents with um, transgender kids that yeah. it's. Openly accepted and yeah. mostly without incident. Yeah, and more and more common because yeah. what turns out to be the case is that when kids come to their parents as small children and say, listen, I actually, I want to wear that dress. And instead of freaking out, the parents are like, okay, mm-hmm. I know what that is. I've heard of that. I know mm-hmm. another kid in my community who has gone through mm-hmm. that. Then more and more kids do that. And and it becomes something that is more done. So, um, so the world gets better for everyone. Yeah, Seattle right. has been really 
really remarkable. The schools have been amazing. The community mm-hmm. has been amazing. It's been really pretty amazing. Is is Seattle kind of a respite for people even around the country? Um, has are, are people moving to Seattle to uh, basically get away from some form of conflict in their life if I, they have a transgender child? I think so. Yeah. I do think so. Well, so that's what happens in the book. In the okay. book, exactly that thing happens. Okay. They move to Seattle, which is a kinder and gentler place to raise this child. Um, I think that people are doing that, but I also think that that's easier said than done, mm. uprooting uprooting your lives to, to right. move somewhere. So, based off of, of right. this, yeah. Yeah, this right. thing. Yeah, this thing. And yeah. this thing that you don't know where it's going. Yeah. Um, and when you have other children and their needs too and, and parents and working and, you know, all of these things. Yeah. So it's um, so I think some people are doing it, but I also think that other places are having to get their mm-hmm. heads and laws around this. Mm. So actually, let's let's um, unpack that a little bit more too, because because I, I want to know. I, we're both fathers, right? We he's got two kids. I've got a, a daughter, and um, you know, I'm I'm just thinking from my perspective. Like, let's say that uh, my sweet daughter comes to me, and basically, this is this is something that my wife and I have to to deal with. What was that like? Because um, you have hopes and dreams, and you're like envisioning the future of your yeah. son and you know yeah. all of this stuff what was that like even being um you know being someone who uh who is surrounded by a more progressive community yeah. um and you you know did it did it still throw you off uh was were the the cultural um contexts even that you grew up with you know on the east coast did those kind of have to come crashing down or did you have to work through anything or was it just like a okay this is what we're gonna do because I imagine that's probably internally a difficult process to go through yeah and I think it is for a lot a lot of parents it was easier for us it was a pretty slow transition and we didn't really balk at any point in it Mm -hmm. I think because it was so slow um he did not come to us and say I am a girl, which mm. certainly does happen with some kids. Um, for us, it was much more that, you know, he wanted to wear a skirt. And we said, okay. Yeah. I mean, that seemed like, I don't care. Uh, sure, why not? Yeah. Um, and it was it was just a series of those things of everybody finding, finding their way slowly. Mm. Um, it was at no point especially alarming because kids do this. They just change all the time. Mm. And that's what the title of the book is. This is how it always is. Mm. It may not be this particular thing, but this is what kids do. Right. They the just, one consistency has changed. Yes, yeah. right, yeah. exactly. They become yeah. new people every day, and they make these enormous changes, mm. and you never see them coming, and you certainly can't make a plan for them. And I, I can't picture her, you know, you were saying about, you know, your hopes and dreams. Mm-hmm. I can't, I don't, I can't imagine that this child is going to go to middle school one day. I mean, that's just the, mm. boggles my mind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's going to happen in a few years. Yeah. And and so I feel like, in fact, that that kind of practice of, of being in the, I have no clue where you're going, but I'm going to support you mm-hmm. wherever it is, wherever that road to that place leads, it seems like the... 
you know, the the best approach that there is to parenting for the kid, but also for the parent. I just, mm-hmm. you know, think like that's what keeps me most mm-hmm. sane. And even at the, you know, I mean, when I remember when she was little and I'm like, I have this plan. We're going to go out to dinner. Yeah. Well, no. It's not happening. It's yeah. not happening. Yeah. And, and I, the more I could let go of plans that were happening, anything more than like 10 minutes out, the smoother everyone's life was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so when you, um, for reference for our audience, you wrote a, a beautiful article in the New York Times yeah. about this um, sort of coming to realization um, of her transition. And um, well, can we just like pause for a second? Yeah. So consider Tyler and I uneducated on all things Cause, transgender. Because we are actually. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so um, I'm just going to go ahead and say dummy right here. Yeah. So yeah. Totally. And we want to, so. we like, we come at this from like, we want to um, be supportive and yeah. know and be educated. Yeah. So, um, how do we, one of the things that I know is kind of, this is off the cuff here, but that I tiptoe around is like, how do we, um, like, what does transition mean? Right. Do we call a a boy that turns to a girl a she? Like, how do we, it seems like it's always different each time. Yeah, it is. And so it's hard to like be respectful and like be accurate. Right. Mm -hmm. So how do we... Yeah, that's Never really, that. yeah, and, and and my answer to you is yes, uh, which yeah. I realize is an unsatisfying answer. This varies individual to individual mm. because, of course, it does. So, in general, um, ch- like, the short answer to your question is we now refer to my daughter as my daughter and as she. Um, and and that is pretty typical, um, though certainly a lot of People make a different choice, and there's growing support for using they as a gender-neutral singular pronoun, Mm -hmm. which I have a trouble with as a former English teacher Mm -hmm. um, and as a writer, but that's a, you know, that's a grammar problem, not an identity problem. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you got to ask, or people will tell you, or when you, like if I, you know, um, th- w- there's a big conference in Seattle every year for, for families, um, and actually for, for adults too, and for professionals um, uh, a gender diversity conference. And there they go ahead and ask you, what, what are your preferred pronouns? Mm-hmm. So then, then people will just tell you, and, and you can go with that to the extent that, um, you can get your head to use they as a, as a singular pronoun. Right. Um, transition too has, has itself transitioned. Mm-hmm. It used to be that transition meant sex reassignment surgery, and it just, doesn't anymore. I mean, particularly not for kids mm-hmm. uh, on whom, you know, of course we don't do that. Um, and sometimes we talk about social transitions for kids, which is just, you know, changing clothes, changing hair, changing names, changing pronouns. Mm-hmm. And for some people, that's that's plenty for their whole lives. Um, and then, you know, some people will undergo medical interventions mm-hmm. or surgical interventions, and, and some people do not. So that notion of transition is certainly something that is changing, that varies from person person and that is ongoing mm-hmm. you know over the course of a lifetime mm-hmm. so yeah so it's a hard question which is a good thing um more complicated is better mm-hmm. in this case <laughs> right so, so is the solution to that uh to potentially change uh pronouns altogether like is the goal for us to be kind of this um you know why are we even referring to boy and girl uh to begin with right um which which i you know I hear my dad in the back. I love yeah, my dad. He's right. you would love my dad. He's a great guy, right? But I just hear um, my my sweet southern dad basically right. being like, "Well, that doesn't make sense." What do right. you, you know? Yes. And um, 
Right. So it's not really fair to force something like that onto someone else. But like, what do we? What is the solution? I guess to the problem, because I recognize the problem. Like, I being, um, we haven't really ever talked about our faith, but like, I have. I have difficulty calling God He because, like, right. like the yeah. the essence of 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 love is is female and male. Like yeah. it, there it, there is not. You know right. what I mean? I do. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Unpack that a little bit for yeah. me. Yeah. You know, some of it is figuring out what the problems actually are. So language is a problem. Mm-hmm. We we can't talk about people in third person without choosing he or she mm-hmm. at the moment, including God, and on down from there. Right. Um, you know, it's the first question that we ask of, of people when they have a baby. Was it a boy or a girl? Not because we necessarily care, and, like, they're a baby, so mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily, you know, matter at that moment. But we can't then ask a follow-up question like, what did you name him, mm. without nailing that down. That's language problem. is different than, say, a bathroom problem. Mm-hmm. So when you start to ask, like, well, okay, what what is the problem that we're trying to solve, and is that problem solved by the legislation that we're passing? Mm. And do these things need to be separate, and do they need to be separate in this way? And you know, what are the parameters that we're talking about, and how is that enforceable? Mm-hmm. And once you start looking at that sort of thing, that's when you realize, like, okay, these bathroom bills make absolutely no sense at all. Um, and you know, so some of it is in fact figuring out what is the problem mm-hmm. that we're trying to solve. Um, and and being honest about that, yeah. and and what the implications of that are, and what they're not. Do you mind speaking to uh, what does it make sense about the bathroom bills? Again, coming from an uned- uneducated perspective. Yeah. And again, this is a safe place. <laughs> Everyone on this podcast loves you. Oh, like good. you're not oh, going to get hate mail <laughs> if they if you know anything. Yeah, uh, that's anyway. good because I've gotten some hate mail, yeah, and sure. it is unsettling. And. Um, and I love to be loved. So, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> yes. Oh, gosh. The bathroom bills in a sort of a one-on-one kind of way. It's, um, <clears throat> oh, this is, you know, I, f- I feel like this is a really good example of what we're talking about isn't what we're talking about. Um, the position here, which in Washington State has been couched in privacy, mm. the notion is that Men will dress up as women in order to get entry into girls' locker rooms in order to sexually molest them. And this is so not true at so many levels. Mm -hmm. It's actually difficult to have a reasonable, logical conversation because it contains so many fallacies. Mm. Um, Trans women are not men dressed up as women. Right. 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 Sexually assaulting children is and will always be illegal, and no one is Mm -hmm. suggesting otherwise. This legislation has been on the books in Washington State for a dozen years, literally without incident. At no time has any man dressed up as a woman gone into a locker room and assaulted a child. A girl, never. Even like thinking through someone who is sexually assaulting anyone, it's typically a power play. And someone who wants to position themselves as, as within a power structure likely they're not going to change into you know right. something yes. that they it's, see as weak I, i'm just this yes. is me like off the cuff right. kind of thinking through it but i mean indeed yeah. it is it is absurd and in fact this the, the, and this is what i mean like we identify the problem that is not the problem that isn't a problem that has not been a problem 
What is the problem is that transgender people are, in fact, very unsafe and mm -hmm. frequently um, victims of sexual assault and, and other kinds of violence. And that is exacerbated. That is a problem that is exacerbated by these bathroom bills rather than solved by these bathroom bills. And so we are taking a problem that doesn't exist, solving it with a solution that doesn't work or make sense and, and making worse problem, a problem than so, actually does. Meaning like a transgender woman would be um, more likely to be... Um, uh, assaulted or verbally abused or something if if she were to go into a male restroom yes, that's correct then the the other fear yeah right yeah. exactly i see okay. much much yeah, more likely yeah, yeah. and in fact not just more likely but this happens all, all the, the time, time. Right. yes uh, um also you know, probably producing depression which you know you look at yes and uh, and shame and yeah yeah and, and not feeling like you have a place in society right right right, is, right. yes and this is in fact unenforceable also, it's it's sort of absurd in its unenforceability. Um, you know, when they talk about doing this, I mean, and you know, for for me, the, my my kid goes to elementary school, so nobody is standing in front of the bathroom pulling down kids' pants, mm. which is what we're talking about here in order to enforce this policy. If they were, we would definitely have a law against right. it. But you know, so so in fact, it's. It's also unenforceable in addition to not mm. making any sense and and endangering people's lives. Mm -hmm. So, so you can see why this makes me crazy. Yeah. Um, it it's it's just the, it's just the shaming. Right. Um, I also actually think that it's not a, it's another one of these things. It's not about what it's about. It's to turn people out to vote for other things on that ticket, mm -hmm. and and that is is dishonest. Right. It's been politicized. Sort of, yeah. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, for so so take for instance, you know, again. Me coming from conservative South, um, at one point I, I easily would have been on the other end of this argument. Yeah. Um, and one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on the show is because um, r stories that I have heard from people who have uh, all who have gone through it and meeting actual transgendered people and like hearing their stories and seeing like the love that they share with people and just like that's what's changed my mind. It hasn't been like an argument. There's no right. sign that is ever going to tell me is going to change my mind right. in some capacity. So yeah. like, you know, for someone listening to this and potentially is a, uh, appalled or, or, uh, can't wrap their mind around it, yeah. you know, I would suggest going and really trying to befriend someone or even just asking questions and entering into a space of curiosity rather yeah. than, uh, judgment in some capacity. Yeah. So, I mean, I would yeah. also suggest that probably all of those people know people who are transgender and just yeah. don't realize yeah. it yeah. because we don't walk around naked and right. that's a good thing. Right. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> uh, can can we talk about and and I want to get to the New York Times article too, okay. but uh, can we also talk and and maybe you have uh, more data around this, but like uh, so people who are born intersex, right? Yeah, um, right. Right. So it's one or two out of every thousand people. Like if I look at my Facebook, um, that this is a statistic right. that I sure. just googled. So don't yeah. I don't know if that's exactly accurate, but yeah. let's just look at my Facebook of like twenty six, three thousand, something like three thousand people. Um, Right. There's a portion of those yes. people who are potentially intersex. Right. And then, so that that makes my mind go, okay, well, if that's the case, right. if, if we're born into this world and there's a portion of us who are, who are uh, multi-gendered or, right. or whatever, um, then what does that actually mean for gender? Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. And well, so I, I can kind of get to the, to the gender uh, on a spectrum yes. mindset, an idea like that's that's kind of the step by step process that I've gotten to. Again, coming from this place um, and really having more of a transform transformative 
understanding of where we're at in this. Yes, yes. Um, and and re- well, just remembering that this is how it always is, right? Like it's not it's not black or white. It's not always male right. or female. It's everything in between too. Right. right. Yes, and that's the goal. Is is everything in between? Is to say. Some people are on this end and some people are on this end. But when it's okay in the world, when you can function in society, almost everybody else is somewhere in the middle. And you say intersex, and that itself exists on a spectrum. Right. And so sometimes it is indeterminate genitalia. But there's a whole range of, right. of intersex identities. Um, and that also is something that in the past has been something that needed to be fixed and needed to be changed and needed right. to be hidden. And the more we live in a place where those are things that don't need to be changed, mm-hmm. fixed, or hidden, the better the world becomes, again, for everyone. Mm-hmm. Man, that's powerful. It's powerful stuff. So um, I want to ask this. How long has your daughter, when when did that initial transition it's happen? It's going on three years. Three years, okay. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Um, Although, you know, uh, that transition too, as I say, it was, it was gradual. Um, I wrote for the New York Times about when, when that story started for, for us, but... Like most origin stories, you could trace it back, you know, certainly further than that. And there were things that didn't necessarily strike me as strange at the time. You know, I remember talking to her when she was like 18 months old about wearing tights. And I thought that was just because, you know, pants are uncomfortable. <laughs> pants are uncomfortable. Right. Especially um, 18 month year old pants. Yeah, right. Yeah, like jeans for yeah, an 18 year old. Yeah, exactly. Baby jeans are terrible. Uh, um, baby gap. Uh, yeah. Making that money. And so, right, right. And, um, and so it's, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to say exactly, you know, when that started for, for her. Yeah. So roughly three years in, to me, you come across as like very in command of the, <laughs> this, this idea and yeah. like a woman that would be a mentor for other parents. Yeah. Um, but if you can take us back to that like first realization, because in the New York Times article, which we'd like to to dig into a bit, yeah. you sort of you you talk about this dilemma going on in your head of um, maybe not so much like right or wrong. Yeah. In fact, not that at all. It was more like I want the best for my child, yeah. and in the same way that I think about when I, you know, send my son out with like a stain on his shirt. Like right. I mean, he's he's this. That's a terrible example. But, like, <laughs> I just want, like, I want to send them out in the world yeah. and have them protected, you right. know? And knowing that I can't and knowing kids are going to make fun of them for a stain or whatever it is, yeah. um, that's got to be, there's got to be a lot of dilemma going on in your head as a parent. There was a lot of dilemma going on in my head as a parent, yeah. yeah. Um, and in fact, it was it was less logical thought through dilemma and more panic. You know, it was a very mm. physical reaction. Um you know what I what I talked about in that article is she had really spent the summer at home, how, you know, in dresses and um, and that was so fine that it didn't you know didn't even really occur to us to be concerned about it and then suddenly she wanted to wear it to the first day of school and and that was a different and that was a different thing um, and she knew that she herself was really on the fence about it for a really mm. long time but then when she figured it out she got really clear about it. As it happened, she figured it out the day before school started. And I later learned that that's incredibly common. That mm. kids, the push has to come to shove, basically, before this answer is clear to anyone. Even even as a six-year-old, she sort of understood what, you know, what this meant, the, the weight of this. Mm. And, in fact, not sort of. She did. She understood entirely what this was going to mean. And... Um, 
And indeed, it's a different thing what happens at home than than what happens in the world. And it was a new school. And of course, you know, we wanted her, you know, you want your kid to to be normal, except smarter than everyone, right. and right, right to fit in and look yeah. right, only just a little more gorgeous. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, that's what you that's what everyone wants for their 100%, kid. One hundred percent. So you know, so I thought, what's going to happen when you know when she goes to school like this? Mm-hmm. Um, and is she going to be loved and accepted for who she is? And you know, I just think like that is the hardest thing. That is what parenting is, is this this realization that the thing you could do to keep your kid most safe and most love is to never, ever, ever let her out of the house. Mm. Um, but that is, is that what's best is for Is that her, what's yeah. best for anyone? Yeah. No. And what's so you the have quote? The, a, a, ship, a ship is safe at harbor, but that's not what ships are for. That's right? not what ships are for, yeah. yes, indeed. Um, and that's a hard thing mm-hmm. to talk yourself into mm-hmm. and a hard balance to strike, I think. So at the beginning, I was really profoundly worried um how long did that last or does it still last to some extent? <laughs> right exactly it still lasts um although just on on everything yes i'm taking her to the orthodontist for the first time this afternoon and i'm terrified about mm. it you know i um i have the sinking feeling every time i put her on the bus to go mm. to school i yeah. you know that's just that's part of that's part of the experience of parenting. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, you know, it's the hallmark of the experience of parenting, best I could tell. I didn't really expect it's ever going to go away. Um, the the immediacy of this particular I'm going to wear a skirt to school uh, for better or for worse lasted a very brief period of time because she only came to the conclusion right before school started. Mm-hmm. I had the name of the first grade teacher, but had not yet. Mm. Met her. I school hadn't started yet, so I had to send her an email the night before and say, "You know, I hate to be that parent who's bugging you about my kid <laughs> before you've even met my kid, but I just thought you might want a heads up that you know he, he, I, he's coming to school in a skirt tomorrow, and I just want to assure you that this has not been undertaken without a great deal of thought on everyone's mm. part. But this is what needs to happen." And then I sat in front of my computer and pushed refresh. <laughs> and bless her, she emailed twenty minutes later and said, "Oh." Great, fabulous. I can't wait to meet him. Um, and what she said was, we had a transgender kid in our class last year. And that's mm. what I meant at the beginning of this thing. Like, the more this happens, the more it happens. The right. more it can happen without everybody waking out about it. She said, you know, therefore I've done all of this gender diversity training. I, you know, I know this kid and the parents. And I maybe that's what this is and maybe it isn't. But regardless, happy to support your kid. Happy to support you. Can't that's wait awesome. for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I wept um, with relief. And, yeah, you know, it gift. was a really yeah. scary first day. And then it pretty much went away. Wow. Yeah. There's a there's an excerpt, actually, speaking of the New York Times article, that that just spoke to me. Um, so if you're cool, I could, I, I'd love Absolutely. to read it. Um, so it says, uh, you wrote, It seemed reasonable to say, We found ourselves at a crossroads. Wear whatever you're comfortable in to school. If that's what you want to wear. You don't have to keep changing in and out of it, um, referring to your daughter basically changing at home, wearing the dress, and then yeah. um, you know changing into different clothes for school. But it also seemed reasonable to say dresses are for play at home only. The dress is fun, but you can't wear it to first grade. Right. The former had the advantage of being fair, what we believed, and, uh, and what would make our child happiest. The latter had the advantage of being much less fraught. So for me as a father, you know, I often think of the difference between my child's happiness and kind of like what's best, right? And there, there has to be, I, I'm assuming there's that balance of like, 
what does that look like, right? Because like my daughter will run into the street right now because she's That's two right. years old. Yes. And she doesn't, even though it's like, I want to run into the street, I got to be like, right. well, you can't because, right. you know, you might get hit by a car. Yes. So where is the line that you that you draw, I guess, uh, between making such a such a big decision? Yeah. Um, that will will ultimately affect 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 <laughs> yeah. um, that will ultimately affect the the future longevity right. of her life. Yeah. Right? Um, was there a point in time where you're like, no, we can't do this? Uh, you know, like think about what's going to happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right? Yeah. Like, and well, I guess walk me through what that was like. Yeah. yeah. You know, again, I think that's what it's always like. You think, well, what's going to happen? What's mm-hmm. this going to look like next week and next year and 10 years from now? And there is no way to answer that question. Uh, and indeed, there are lots of things that your kid wants to do because it would make them happy. Like, you know, have chocolate for dinner. They right. Say, yeah. uh, no. And, um, and, and often happy, happy and safe are on the same are on the same side of the seesaw. And in this case, happy and safe seem to be on different sides of the seesaw. But when I sat down and thought about it, I realized, like, no. When I look around my community, when I look around my city, she is she is going to be safe. Mm. That's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And this isn't happy. Like I want to run out in the street, or I want to have chocolate for dinner. This is a different kind of happy. Mm. And it was. It took some time to realize that that was the case. Mm -hmm. And it isn't even necessarily something I can entirely articulate, Mm -hmm. but it was a different kind of happy. I mean, because it got to the point where she just, she couldn't leave the house in shorts and and, and a t-shirt. She she couldn't do it Mm -hmm. anymore. And, And as a parent, you know the difference between I just want to eat chocolate for dinner and I can't leave the house wearing this anymore. Um, it's not immediately apparent, but it's but it's pretty quickly apparent. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, I I just imagine that balance every day, kind of. Yes. Uh, I I would imagine just laying down with my wife every night and be like, okay, what? Yeah. That was that was a day. That was a day. That's okay, right. and you know yep. what does tomorrow that look was the like? First, and yes. yeah, indeed, yeah, and the. The first week she did this, it was right before school started, she had all these play clothes, but dresses, but they weren't, you know, they were like princess costumes, you're going to wear it to school. We had to go out, uh, school starts in Seattle on Wednesday, so we got three outfits, you know, I didn't know whether this was going right. to, you know, last beyond the week, I didn't. I didn't know. I, you know, I just had no idea what this was going to look like. Mm. Um, at the beginning, it involved a lot of shopping. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Which is not really my strong suit. Right. So, yeah. Uh, for our, um, for the parents that are listening, you know, I think we can all relate to this idea that as, as parents of young kids, we navigate not only just raising our kids, but then interacting yeah. with other families, other kids, just like the classic on the playground, right? Like, how do you share the slide? How do you right. be kind exactly. to people, right? And that's that's across all um, parenting and kid dynamics. But then you add in the layer of having a transgender child. Is that, um, it sounds like in Seattle, that's almost a non-factor. Yeah. Um, but for the parents in the audience who, like more and more, like the likelihood of having a transgender student in your child's class yeah. is going to be, Higher and higher. Higher and higher and it's high already. So what, like, I don't know, maybe coach the parents out there that haven't had interaction with a transgender kid. And is it just as simple as, like, they're just a kid? That's right. It is. It is just as simple as they're just a kid. Yeah. Um, and, And for the most part, 
it's actually much harder for the parents than for the kids because yeah. the kids don't care. You know, the kids in first grade were like, is this about me? No? I don't give a crap. I mean, you know, they're six-year-olds. They're totally self-centered right. in the most wonderful way. Right. And that's fantastic. Um, kids also kind of get intuitively um, that people, ch- you know, that kids change wholesale, um, sometimes overnight. Kids completely understand that what other what adults think you are and what you actually are are sometimes vastly different so kids don't tend to have difficulty with this when they're younger Mm -hmm. certainly when they're older it's you know it's harder and 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 really they're i mean the more in every aspect of people's lives we can just say I get who you are. I'm going to honor what you're telling me. Yeah. I'm 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 going to respect that and celebrate it. However it manifests, the the better the better the world is for everybody. Yeah. Um and I think that's true on a gender spectrum, but I just think it's true I just think it's true in general. Mm. I think it's just not that difficult to understand either. Mm. Um I you know, I, I think it is a it is a fairly straightforward yeah thing. Mm-hmm. I think maybe just as adults, you know, like take our re- current political climate as maybe a an example like if someone's different, it's bad. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so that maybe that's where you're saying as adults we impose this yes. Architecture. And I, you know, and that's what we all want is different if for different to be good. It's for yeah. different, you know, it's for lots of for a wider range of normal, for yeah. for lots of different ways of being, to be okay and to be celebrated, I think that's how we learn and grow mm-hmm, totally. as humans. And I think everyone fails to fit in sometimes. Everyone finds themselves at the ends of the spectrums, of some spectrum at some times in their lives, and wants to be loved and accepted for who they are. I, I mean, obviously, and so. So in some ways, I just think it's a really strange conversation to have because I just want to say, yeah, my kid is not totally normal and still deserves love. Like, how is that an argument? That's, mm. you know, th- that, that seems just so extremely clear mm-hmm. to me. And I think that must be true of, of everyone all the time. Yeah, I think we could all say our kids are not are yeah. normal. Sometimes not normal, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah. And th- that's a really, you know, wonderful thing. Right. Um, and that's how... You know, that's how we grow up as intelligent, open-minded, creative humans. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah. Okay, so let's uh, let's get back to your book real quick. Okay. Uh, we would actually like to give away one of these books. So yeah. if you've made it this far in the podcast, 48 <laughs> minutes in, Ooh, congratulations. Yeah. Yes, thanks for staying. Uh, thank you for sticking around because uh, it is important work that we're doing here. Yeah. Um, it's a good, com- a really important conversation. Um, so if you will share um, this on Facebook and tag Rise Seattle, um, then we will give away your book. Yeah. Signed. Signed. Heck signed yeah. copy. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll draw um, one of the people randomly that shares this that on shares Facebook. It. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it will be it. random. I'm not giving it to like, you know, <laughs> your mom. My, my yeah. mom or anything. Um, anyways, so speaking of that book, um, and just to give a little uh, uh, description, so it's a book about a family of seven. Yeah. Uh, the youngest um, boy of five. Yeah. So there's five boys five total. Boys, Claude. Yeah. yeah. Um, Basically decides that he wants to be a girl. He wants he wants to wear a dress. He wants yeah. to grow his hair out, and he wants to be called a girl. Yeah. Um, the book's honest. It's funny, uh, and, and it's a it's a glimpse I would assume into the hectic life of uh, raising a family. But it's also just about a family and yeah. about. Um, and again, I going back to our conversation that we re- previously had, like. Um, 
I think more stories uh, and and seeing human beings for human beings' sake right. will really open up. Um, I, I just started reading the book Hill, Hillbilly Elegy. Yeah. So good. Yeah, so good. Right? And I'm just like, oh, man, I judge these people so right. much. But it's like <laughs> like, yeah, like understanding the cultural context in right. which they were raised has really opened up my mind and given me compassion yeah. um, towards the decisions that were potentially made. Yeah. You know, and uh, screaming at people is not going to get anything done, right? Yeah. Saying that Absolutely. I'm right, you're wrong is not. But listening to stories, these powerful, powerful stories, yep. I think that's what's going to change hearts and minds. So yep. keep Read doing more. the good work. Read yes. more. Yes. It's always, always good. Um, totally. Well, I think, you know, unless you have something else, Tyler, it has been a privilege to well, chat need, with you. We need to actually ask her our last yep. question. Oh yeah. We <laughs> always have a question. What am I thinking? Yeah. Okay. Let me tackle that one. So you, you've been in Seattle for a while. Yeah. You've seen change come and go, yeah. um, um, the, C- the city evolve. But as you look forward, what is your what are your hopes for the city? And then what are some of your concerns that you have going forward for Seattle? Oh, interesting. Yeah, God, good questions. I really love Seattle. I love Seattle. I chose it. Um, I have spent a long time. We spent, my husband and I spent a long time thinking about here or there, you know, I had a I had a job on the East Coast. Um, he's a software engineer. I know that stuns you in Seattle, <laughs> and therefore could work anywhere. Um, and and my family is back there, and we're very close with them. And and yet, I really love I really love this city. I mm. find it to be a very civilized compromise on the city front. That is, I think it has all of the really wonderful things about a city. Um, I'm a theater fan. I'm a baseball fan. Mm. I, I like to live in a city. I like the diversity of people. I like the energy of a city. I like to have lots of independent bookstores and libraries and um, restaurants and, you know, and this kind of thing. Um, and yet Seattle, I feel like, manages to do that without um, some of the things that make living in a city hard. Yeah but not all of them. So what I would love for Seattle to do is to is to dig itself in a little bit more in that sweet spot between the really wonderful things that a city has which it does really well and getting rid of some of the, you know, the unfortunate things that traffic is getting worse and worse mm-hmm. and and that just makes it really difficult to enjoy the city because mm. you think I'd love to go to this place that is four miles from my house, mm. but it's going to take me 45 minutes to get there. So instead I'll just stay home, which is good for, for no one. And I would like to see Seattle get more integratedly diverse yeah. instead of diverse in pockets and, right. and, and diverse in neighborhoods. Um, more diverse throughout I th- is is something that is actually much more true on the East Coast than mm. is true here. And, you know, in my fantasy Seattle, it is much more like that. You know, I think that um, Seattle city politics is doing, is working really hard to tackle homelessness in this city, but is is nowhere close at the moment. And those are really difficult questions to answer. And I feel like they are being asked with compassion, which is step one, but I don't necessarily feel like they have been answered in a way that um, that that draws from all the resources that we have yeah. already. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. It is good. It would be good. 
Okay, so uh, last question. Where uh, can people find your books and follow you? And, you know, where, yeah. where do you want to send listeners so that they can connect with you? Right. Well, the first place I want to send listeners is to their independent bookstore. Yes. Of which there are tons in lots. Seattle. Yes, lots. And um, and they have copies of this book um, and all of my books. And that's that's where they should buy them. In no uncertain terms, that's where they should buy Got them. It. And. Um, and all of those places will, in fact, let you order it online. But but there is something really wonderful about being able to go mm. into a bookstore and put your hands on a book that you heard about on a podcast. I just think so few people in this yeah. country anymore have that opportunity. And it's a it's an amazing thing that um, I hope that everybody in the city is taking advantage of. Um, so that's the... That's the first answer. The second answer is it's lauriefrankel.net. Um, there was another Laurie Frankel who got God.com. God.com. So that's not me. Come on, lauriefrankel.com. No, come on. Garbage. Share. Yes, 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 yes. And you're um, active on the blog there. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I'm also on Facebook and I'm also on Twitter. And, you know, I try with Instagram, but it's hard. Mm. Um, so, um, but I'm all of those places. So, um, and they all, of course, link back to each other. So I'm easy, I'm easy to find, in cool. fact. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, Laurie, thank you so much. This thank was you. a true gift. Thank we really you. appreciate you sharing your story. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a pleasure to talk to you about. Sounds Thanks. good. Have a good one. Thank you. You too. Rise Seattle was produced and recorded by the very talented Brett Baird. A special thanks to Bravery Music for our intro and outro music. You can contact us and find all of the show notes and episodes on our website, Rise Seattle Podcast. You can also connect with us on social. Instagram and Twitter at the Rise Seattle and use hashtag RiseSeattle to be a part of the conversation. Please subscribe to our podcast and write us a very nice five-star review on iTunes. We would be grateful. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you in two weeks for our next episode.